So I'm excited for today, and we're going to continue with this series that's called Me With You. And um, yesterday morning, I got up early, and I noticed something on my stove was not working right. And the clock on the stove was not um, showing up. I think there's a photo of it. Nope, the one before that. There you go. So the, the photo, so that, it's fine. It's fine. I, it just shows that I fixed it. Okay, so that's good. <laughs> So the stove, I walk up to the stove, and the, the time is not on the stove. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's an electric stove. It's, it's like something's wrong. I got, I, got a, I got a project at least. If not, I got to get a new stove, blah, blah. I'm just like, man, this is the worst, you know. And then I noticed that it was the sun that was beating down on that part of the stove, and I just put my hand over the sun and to create a shadow on, on the stove. And next slide, <laughs> I fixed it. There's, the time is there. And so I was like, oh, look at that. It's amazing. Like, it's so weird, right? But here's what I want you to notice is that sometimes there's things that are actually there that we cannot see. The other thing I'm super excited about is um, like these guys. Let's hear it for the whirly bird. The helicopters, right? So like these are super cool. So like you throw them and... Want me to do it again? I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Let's see. You go, guy, okay? Let's see. So what you do typically is you're annoyed by these. You, you like, step on them. You, 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 like, mow over them. But, man, they're designed. They're designed to, like, twirl, man. All they need is a little altitude. Today, what I want you to, to investigate with me is something that I really believe is near and dear to my heart, is this idea that God sees things in us that we don't see. God sees things in us that we don't see. And, and it's important for us to remember this idea, because um, we just can't see it, but God can. I want us to dive into, it's kind of been funny because we've been looking at the life of David, but almost like in a weird like pattern because it's, no, it's not sequential or chronological. We're actually going backwards a little bit, so, um, and backwards and forwards. So we started a couple weeks ago talking about David and Jonathan, then last week we talked about David and Nathan, and today we're going to rewind all the way to the beginning of when David shows up in Scripture, where it's David and Samuel. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to read just a passage here. And um, it's going to go a little bit something like this. It's about, I I have four up there, verse four, but we're going to start. I'm old, so I'm taking the glasses off. Um, And this Bible has got like really tiny type, right? That's what I'm playing it on. Um, But about mid-five, mid-verse five, I want us to to just start reading. And and this is, just to kind of help us out, this is when um, Samuel is the last judge of Israel, He is the man of God, the prophet of God. He's doing a great job. And Israel wants a king. They get King Saul. King Saul dishonors God, goes against God, defames God. Saul's not okay. And so Samuel, we pick up the story where Samuel is told by God to go and to find the next king of Israel. And so he he goes to this peasant family the family of Jesse, who really makes like almost no sense as to why God would choose this family, 
to find the next king. And, he, and so Samuel shows up. And, and you got to know that Samuel has been part of winning battles. He's been a part of like just seeing God move. And the people know that. And when he shows up to the town of Bethlehem, he, he's like, whoa, Samuel's here. What's going on? Are, are we okay? What's happening? And so he kind of talks about that. He comes in peace and that he, he wants to, to be able to have a sacrifice and to be able to do this. And so, um, and so we pick up in the middle of verse 5, and it says this. Uh, then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Everyone say Eliab. Eliab. Say not the guy. And Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Surely Samuel's like, this is the next king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab. Everybody say Abinadab. Fun one, not the guy, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then had Shama. Everyone say Shama. Not the guy, passed by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, there's still the youngest, but he's, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Heavenly Father, we pray, God, right now that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, you see things in us that we cannot see. Lord, when people saw David, they, they forgot about him in the field. He didn't even get invited to the party. The man of God, the one that's famous that showed up in town, David didn't even get invited. And Lord, you remember the, the one. And you remember the 99, and you see things that we can't see. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts to begin to see some things about us. And Lord, that you would affirm and confirm some things, Lord God, in our hearts that we need from you today. The, only, the things that only you can confirm and affirm in us. In Jesus' name. So, so David is, is anointed king. I mean, it was probably a situation where Samuel goes up to him and in front of all of his brothers pours this oil on him, puts his hands on him, and is able to, to, to basically say, this is God's anointed one for, for the, to be the king. And, and remember that David is out in the field. He's out and forgotten about. He's the youngest one. He's, he's tending sheep. He gets the job that the young guy gets, that the little brother gets. He isn't even invited to the party, and yet God remembers him. God has Samuel, has asked Jesse to bring him, and David is anointed king. You see, this is the thing that I want you to remember. We, we looked at um, Jonathan and David, where David was able to share like, his heart with Jonathan and say, hey, look, I'm frustrated with Saul. I'm suspicious of Saul. I'm afraid. 
And, and as guys, we don't, we don't talk about being fearful because we're tough. But what we saw is that we need a cardiologist in our life. We need a heart doctor, someone that we can share that with. It can help us align our lives and follow after God and, and determine his will for us. And, and so David shares with Jonathan this, this intense, heartfelt information. And then we learned last week that Nathan is the one who, who tells David, guess what? You're not going to be the one that builds the temple. Your son will. And guess what? You're the one in the story that I told you about that was scandalous and murder, murderous. And by the way, at the end of your life, you need to anoint Solomon king before another son takes over the kingdom. You see, David was able to receive information from Nathan and to actually act on it. Because why? Because he trusted Nathan. He named one of his kids after Nathan. Nathan was a trusted heart doctor in David's life, and David was a leader that could listen and adjust. He was allow, allowing Nathan to, to speak to him. And you know why I think part of this is true for David as we see through his life, that, that this life-on-life life impact in David's life happens is because look at how it starts. David's not a part of Scripture until Samuel shows up, brings him forward in front of all of his brothers, brings him nice and close, lays his hands on him and says, you are the anointed king of Israel. This is a big deal. And David has to decide uh, to receive that. And here's what we need. Remember this. This is what I want you to remember. We all need someone who sees something in us that we don't see. We all need someone who sees something in us that we don't see. I remember when, um, I, I may have told this story before, but I remember uh, playing football in gym class in freshman year. And um, I loved playing football. And so I, I, I was uh, lining up as a wide receiver. And one of the kids, and, I, and by the way, I had just moved into that town and just got to that school. I knew nobody. And, and one, of the, you know, one of the jocks, one of the cool kids came over and, and was going to cover me. And he says, hey, I've got the funny looking kid. Right on, man. I mean, you, maybe you're relating right now. I don't know. Or just laughing. <laughs> Do you know that I owned that for a long, long time? I, I got to the point where I just didn't think that a girl would ever really pay attention to me. And then I fooled Sarah into, like, finding me or something. I don't know. Because I was the funny-looking kid. I needed someone to speak to me and to see something in me that was I couldn't see. And so I had this, this idea that I was not lovable, I was not attractive, I was not handsome, I was not all these things. And I owned that, man. I took that and I owned it. And when I met Sarah, I was the quietest person. Some of you know that I couldn't even read outside of a book, out of a book in eighth grade because I was so hyperventilating. I couldn't do it, and now God's got me here. This is crazy stuff. I get it. But here's the thing. When Sarah found me and, and we started talking, I wouldn't even talk to her. She called me a deadhead. She's I don't know what the, I was like, all right, well, there you go. And I would just stand off to the side while everyone else was having fun. This is how I was. But somebody, I needed someone to see something in me that I couldn't see. And this is what we see all over the place. Because in a place like this, in a place like Historia, I want to play just a, a short clip from um, Jekka Janes, who is our Historia manager. She is, she is coordinating everything there. And what she's doing is amazing. 
And I want you to, you can close your eyes, or you can just listen to her voice, and I have her describe to you what's happening at his story with these students, who maybe we look around and we see a 14-year-old kid or a 15-year-old kid, but guess what? Something special is happening back there, and so here she is. I just love what's happening with Historia, and what's happening right now with the students, and you know, students are, are crazy, but just a real quick example of like what we might see back there or even in here sometimes on a Sunday or on the weekend is just a 14-year-old kid or 15-year-old kid, but. So you guys might remember about a year ago, we did a hard reset with Historia. We like closed the shop down for a month. And at that point we said, hey, we're just gonna see, is anybody on board with this mission? Does anybody actually wanna do this? And it surprised me because the folks that started raising hands all over church were like, 14, 15, 16, 17. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what's going on here? Um, turns out the plan that the Lord had for Historia was a little bit different than the plan that I had, and it's been amazing. Um, Historia now has two main goals. Um, we're part coffee shop and part learning lab. So if you want to know what that means, it means that anytime we're in that corner, it's a safe place for everybody to learn together. It's been absolutely amazing to see the leadership that's come out of these teenagers. Um, just to give you a couple of quick examples, I mean, personal management, stuff that they're learning that I didn't learn until well after college. Um, earlier this week, Grace had taken a shift. Um, you guys might know her, might see her up here sometimes. She had taken a shift and <clears throat> her work at camp rescheduled her for earlier in the day. And so she did exactly what a grown-up would do. She wrote me and said, hey, this happened. I'm contacting people to get somebody to cover my shift. I'm going to see if I can show up early to get things started. That's like personal management. I didn't know till like I was 27, I think. Um, and to see the way her mind operates, she's always thinking about how can I eliminate waste? Is there any revenue stream we could introduce to help us out? She's got an operational brain, and it's beautiful to see at her age. Um, another example, this was crazy to me, but one of the benefits of counterculture that we serve is that they will offer barista training to anybody that we bring in so they could actually become certified baristas. And two of our guys, Noah and Dalen, who are regular volunteers, always raise a hand to say, I'll do whatever, whenever, have started going to school. So they're in the city, in Chicago, downtown, with professionals from other coffee shops training on equipment as like 15 and 16-year-old guys, and they're holding their own. It's really cool to see, guys. And in case you are curious, one of the main things we do, it's so important that it's a safe place to make mistakes because you could hear the kinds of stories that we're telling right now and say, man, pressure's on. But the thing is, if they drop the ball, this is the absolute safest place for that to happen. You guys walk up and we don't have cold brew one week, you're not going to crucify us over it. You're going to say, well, that kind of stinks, but you'll, you'll wait. And they see that. They see that you care about them and it's safe to learn. And so we all make mistakes together. We learn. The biggest thing is we don't fail together. Um, for about four weeks now, Every drop of cold brew that's been made at the back bar has been made by a student. I haven't touched anything. And the cool thing about that is it takes 24 hours to brew a cycle. 
So it's kind of the planning ahead, the operational management of I need to start this here because I need to pull it here. It's just so cool to see, guys. I never would have guessed it, but the Lord's blessed us in amazing ways having these folks step up. And to be honest, I think they're leading me. You, hold on a second before you go. This is awesome. I got it. You have to just say the, when you first came here, when you and Colt left, what you said about second place. About the, it was, it's so, hilarious. So our first Sunday here, um, <clears throat> our church back in Raleigh that we attended always struggled with youth ministry and trying to figure out, like, how does this work into church as a whole? And the first time we came here, one of the comments that we had leaving because um, we come in and like kids are kids are making communion, kids are leading worship, kids are watching kids. They're everywhere, and we left and we were like, "This church is run by children." <laughs> <laughs> All of us need someone in our life that sees something that we don't see. And I know that you, the students, I'm here on Wednesday night, and I, and, and I know all of them or most of them, and I've spoken words of life over them and said, I see this in you, and they know that I care about them. And you guys can show up on a Wednesday night too. It's not like you can't show up. You can show up too, man. It makes me feel young. But I'm telling you that we all, whether, whether you're a student in college or if you're older, it doesn't matter. We need someone in our life that sees something in us that we don't see, even Jesus understands this. This is the good news about the gospel, is that Jesus understands in Psalm 118, and then in Matthew, and then in Acts 4, this, this psalm is, is quoted, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The one that everybody thought was not worth anything, the one that was out in the field tending the sheep and the goats, the one that everybody said no to is now the one that is now the cornerstone. You see, Jesus understands if you feel like you're in a field tending some goats and you're asking God, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I doing? Everybody has forgotten about me. No one remembers that I'm out here and I'm doing this. God's preparing you and he has purpose written on your life and he sees it in you. And we need people in our life to remind us, even while we're tending sheep, to call us in and to say, guess what? You're not going to be king for another 10 to 15 years, but I don't see a shepherd boy. I see a king. We're going to anoint you right now. And then you're going to do the work for 15 years to wait and run for your life from a crazy guy and try to just not be brought down by that. And you're going to become king someday. This is what we need. We need people to say, Eric, I see greatness in you, man. When you lose your mind over here, you're, you, you don't care what anybody else thinks. And that's where it's at, man, is you, you're, you have leadership in you. You're leading when you do that. Kirk, same thing. You have greatness inside you. We need people to speak this out. We not only need people that see things in us that we can't see, we need them to speak it out. And some of you have never had that. You, you, and you've never had, like Jesus had that spoken over him by the Father where, where God says, this is my son. This is my son whom I love. 
And with him, I am well pleased. Jesus understood that this statement, he, of course he knew who he was. Of course he knew that. But he had his father affirm it in him. And when he went to the cross, he could have these words echoing him, I am well pleased with you. And Jesus understands, and the gospel is that this is our story, that God flips the story for us as well. That when we think that we've been rejected, when we're the one and not the 99, that God reaches out and brings us and anoints us and has purpose in us and says, I see things in you. And then God brings people around us and he he allows those people, if we let them speak over us, those people speak words of life over us and say, guess what? I don't see a shepherd boy, I see a king. Dad's little bonus for next week. I mean, um, this is your job, by the way, part of your job. And I want to tell you that you're a man of God. Inside there, there's a man of God that wants to speak identity into your kids. Adam named the animals. (laughs) He gave identity. Dads, that's what we are to be called to do. But what is so cool about today? You guys, maybe, maybe you guys know. You guys know what today is? Day? Today is the day of Pentecost. It's, the day, it's Sunday. It's a Pentecost Sunday. This is a, a commemoration, a, a remembering of when the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and the people of God waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And, and it says in Acts 2, it says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There was this power that came upon them when the Holy Spirit came. And do you not know? Do you, have you not noticed? Did you not like read we go back to 1 Samuel 16. Did you guys let me read too fast? It says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The Holy Spirit is present in the Old Testament. Hello. And there's something about life on life combined with the Holy Spirit, that there becomes an anointing, there becomes some sort of power that we begin to live out of. Ephesians talks about it, Romans talks about it, it's all over the New Testament, that the way that we understand how to live in the kingdom is through the Holy Spirit. And today's the day that we remember that moment in Acts 2, and remember this moment in David's life, that when he allowed someone to speak over him and to anoint him and to say, you're not a shepherd boy, and allow that to happen, that's when the power of God came in, into his life and was with him. We need someone in our life that sees something that we don't see and speak over us that thing that they see, and the Holy Spirit begins to come in power when that all happens. You know, you might be sitting here today and you're like, man, Joe, it's great, but I I just don't see it. Exactly, it's my point. Like, I'm not smart enough. I I don't have enough money. I don't have the right network. I don't, haven't gone to the right school. I don't live in the right zip code. I don't drive the right car. Listen, God disagrees with you. 
It doesn't matter. Jesse's family was a peasant family. David was a shepherd. And let me just tell you, I'm so glad that there's people in the front row today. Because yesterday there wasn't. So like right here, these seats right here, if you go to a baseball game, football game, or a concert, these are the most expensive seats that there are in the whole place, right? Sorry, it's just plastic. You're good. <laughs> it's the most expensive seat. Good job. And yet it is so common to see churches with the front row empty. And here's the thing. It's okay if you sit in the back. I love you. I love you all. It's all good. I know, baby, baby Aubrey, right? Yeah, it's all good. She's somewhere. This is not a judgment call on you. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't let it be an identity statement about you. Because guess what? God sees something in you that you don't see. And you have every right and you deserve and you can't sit in the front. He bought you this ticket, not that one. Well, that one too. You have the choice to sit wherever you want, Kevin. But I'm telling you that in a concert, at a football game, these seats would be full. And I believe one day you're going to have to like Ask you to get here early because these seats are going to be full. And, and it's not that it's not okay to sit in the back. It's just this idea that sometimes when we sit farther back, and Ezekiel's back there, and I, that's cool. Like, I get it. That's comfy. I would be there too. But, Mike, if you were any further that way, you would, might be either in the hallway or outside. Like, and here's what can happen sometimes. It's not, a, it's not like a heat map, like somehow like God's like more present up here but it's a distraction map sometimes. I will tell you that I definitely roam, like when worship starts at times, I'll roam and stuff, and I, I like to feel the vibe of the room and pray and all that as I walk, but you know what? When I'm up here, I have very few distractions because I don't hear all the conversations. I don't hear the, the coffee pouring or whatever. I don't, I don't, none of that happens. I'm able to focus. And so it might not be that there's more of a presence of God in any one location, but there is definitely less distraction. And some of us, when we get back there, it's easily distracted. And sometimes we need to say, you know what? I don't want to be distracted today. I want to get what God has for me today. And I know that right now I got a lot going on and I could be really distracted. So I'm going to get up front. Is that fair? God uses experiences for us to see how we can lead ourselves and we can see how God can speak into us the things that we can't see. I want to show you two uh, quick videos, they're very short, about two people that, that really you really wouldn't think are all that. Like they, One's a business guy and the other one's just a soccer mom. And, and somehow they were activated into what God has for them, something that they didn't necessarily see. So check these two out. Hi, my name's Dave, and I'm the vice president of a local business. I lead a team of about uh, 14 people on both sales and service of insurance products. Outside the office, I'm a coach of a travel baseball team. Coaching is all about leadership. I love helping these kids become better than they think they can be. I'm always looking for things to help me become a better leader. Back in 2004, I was invited to the Leadership Summit by a client, and it was a life-changing experience for me. It was something that I knew right then that I couldn't live without, and I needed to make an effort to get back. For me personally, the Leadership Summit has become an irreducible minimum, something that I am not going to miss again. I'm coming back to the summit this August, because personally, as a leader, I need to get better. And these kids, they deserve my best. Bring it in, guys. Hands in, hands in. Hey, work hard today to get better. 
Hi, I'm Kristen Chandler. I live in the San Diego area. At the Leadership Summit, I was challenged by the words, lead where you are. And where I am most of the time is the soccer field. I'm a soccer mom, which means shuffling my daughter to practice and washing dirty uniforms, going to games. But now it means more. It means saving lives through Kick for Hope. Four years ago, I took up the challenge to leave where I was, and I started Kick for Hope with three things. I had a vision, I had a copy of Nonprofits for Dummies, and I had the support of a few friends. Last year, 134 teams and 2,000 children showed up. We've raised $84,000, which might not sound like a lot, but what that means is three wells in Ethiopia, malaria nets in the Congo, AIDS education and testing for over 2,000 children, and so much more. At the 2008 summit, Gary Hagen said, when we show up, God shows up. And I believe it's true, even on the soccer field. Two examples of, of people who didn't necessarily see leadership inside them, but they were able to go to something like the summit and allow an experience like the summit to awaken that in them so they can see that I can make a difference. It's something they may not have seen when they walked in. This is why we're doing it. This is why we're, we're putting our efforts into that experience. And, and I think for us, we forget that all the time that we are alive, we were designed, man. And all we needed was a little altitude. He was a little, little hurt right there, wasn't he? <laughs> and when we all figure out that, then we all get that altitude, and it's a beautiful thing, right? There's some wonder in that. The band can come up as we go to this set of music, our psalms today, our psalms to, to sing. You know, I, I, I will reiterate the fact that it's not necessarily always about proximity that we have to get figured out. But, but sometimes there is. And, and when we allow someone to speak over our life, when we allow someone to speak truth to us and to speak out something that, that you don't see about you, maybe you're here today and your dad never did that. You didn't have that type of relationship with your dad. Well, let me tell you, your heavenly father is here today and he's speaking over you. And he has some things to tell you and some things to show you. You know, I think about it. Um, when Samuel would have anointed David, he would have had to allow Samuel to get in close. You know, I don't think that when Samuel anointed David, it was like, like this distance. I'll, I'll throw the oil at you. But so many of us are afraid or, or feel awkward or, or aren't sure like it's safe, that God is safe to allow him that close to you. But the way that you hear the Lord whisper to you is not from far away. And from far away, it's like, hey, I'm going to church. I'm going to church. I'll, I'll go to the warehouse today. But I need God to stay at an arm's length right now because I just don't really want to get too much into it right now. I don't know if it's really the safest thing for me. But when you really allow and you really want transformation to happen in your life, what, you, what we do is we allow God to get in close.
there's a guitar between us. It's, you know, it's, there it is, there it is. To get in close. To say, like, listen, I want to tell you something. I, I'm not going to tell you from over here. I'm going to allow, if you allow me, if you, you trust me, I get in there and I close and I can just and pour that oil on him. And to, to Samuel doing this, is, it was an intimate moment that there was something that was, that was close. You can't hear what God has for you if you keep him at an arm's length. Our challenge to you today is to allow God, first and foremost, to speak to you in a close way. You know, sometimes, um, you guys ready to risk it? This is something that I've experienced that I think is, is beautiful. No one in the room's ready to risk it. That was cool. Um, that was like, that was like, no. No. Um, like, you don't, you don't have, you've never had that happen. Like, you haven't felt that. I remember, I can uh, tell on Mike Koenig because he's not here today. When we were at the Alpha Retreat um, a few years ago, we had a moment where we prayed at, at the retreat. We, we, we prayed for each other. And, uh, and, and I was trying to show as an example, like, what that looks like. <laughs> and so I called Mike up, and he's 50-something, and um, called him up, and it was just kind of like that, and I was like, hey, I, like, if, if I'm going to pray for Mike, this is how it would be. Like, right now I just pray for Mike. I just lift him up. This is not Mike. This is Micah. Um, and I prayed for him, just as an example, right? You know, afterwards, he came up to me, and uh, he said, it's really funny, Joe. I'm like, what? He's like, uh, I've never had that happened to me before. I've never had anyone pray for me and lay a hand. James says, hey, if anyone among you is sick, to, to bring forth the elders of the church, lay hands so that they can become well. And in the physical part of allowing someone just to put their hand on your shoulder and to, just to pray for you is so, so foreign. Why don't we stand? Holy Spirit, you know what you're doing in the room right now. Help us to have ears to hear and a heart to sense it. Many of us have been lived our lives with no one ever speaking over us greatness. And we stand here right now and we just really, really, really want that. And not only do we want that, but we need it. So God, I just pray right now that my friends would open themselves up to you over these next few songs. And Lord, that you would speak to us, whisper to us. Help us not to be in a rush right now. 
over the next few songs, some of you are like, you know what? I, I need that. I, I, I would love to experience God and what that would be like. But for right now, I don't even know. I just need someone to pray with me. I, over the next few songs, I'll be over by this corner. And you can just wander over there. These seats all move. I hope that you guys all can feel freedom to move wherever you want. And I'm not going to pray a long prayer with you today, but I'm simply going to speak life over you. And I will tell you that God very well could use something like that to transform your life. Because what you need to know is that God sees you. He sees you in the field. He sees you laboring over the sheeps and the goats. But more importantly, he sees the greatness inside you that you don't see. So God, I just pray right now that as we sing, Lord, that, that your spirit would inhabit the praises of your people, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hey, good work. A lot of tears this morning. Um, so there's some tears that are, well, all tears, I think, um, God sees, obviously, but there's some tears that are a little different, and, and uh, there's a lot of them today, and those are the tears that come when your spirit says that something's not okay. And what those tears do is they free you from the prison of saying that everything's okay, and I'm good. God sees those tears, and it's like he wired us to tap into that, to be able to say there's an actual physical reaction to something that's not okay in this world or in my heart. And sometimes those tears flow, and it's a trigger for us to go to him. And he sees every one of them. Scripture says he collects them. And so good work moving into that, kneeling and finding a spot, and just worshiping right where you are. God sees you, God knows you, and God sees greatness in you. Heavenly Father, as we go, Lord, I pray right now that you would allow us this week to, to continue this work. Lord, that we would continue the work that you started today. Lord God, for some of us, Lord God, we've really felt seen today because of you. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we would, as a family, that we would allow you in close this week every single day. That we might get up a little earlier tomorrow morning and allow you to get in close and to speak life into us and over us. Lord, that you would collect our tears, Lord God, and that you would, you would bring comfort, Lord God, to us in those hard moments. And Lord God, that you would celebrate as we have moments of joy this week. God, I pray that, that we would be light in dark places and that we would go out and change the world, not because of anything in us, but because of you, because you see something in us that we don't see. Help us to walk in that this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you very soon.